0: Well, it was awesome. Uh, for those of you that don't know that song, uh, You Alone, is actually written by our worship team if you're new to Springwell, and I think it's pretty awesome. Uh, what we found out this week was there, there, it's actually hit the playlist on uh, his radio. Now, what you may not know, and I really don't know anything about the music business either, is that uh, the people that, uh, that are out there promoting even Christian music, and I know it's a business, and so they have people. And so their people, you know, sell their stuff, right? And so their people are pushing the radio stations to play it, whatever. We don't have people. Uh, we don't have any people. Uh, we have you and you're wonderful people. That's, the, that's our people. And, uh, but the manager of, uh, of the station heard uh, the song on our website. Actually, as I understand it, he was just really just searching uh, the web, and he, he made his way to our website, and he, and he downloaded the song because he loved it. And he listened to it so much that he decided that it just needed to be more than just him that was listening to it for his own personal uh, praise and uh, and worship time, uh, but that uh, you know listeners needed to be hearing it as well. And so he added it to the national playlist. So it's not just being heard in Greenville, but it's been heard nationally. And so I just think that's awesome, don't you? And uh, you know I don't know. Uh, the politics of i don 't fool politics period y'all know me, so uh, to church or music business it, i don't pay any attention to that stuff, but it would be so cool I think if if you would just just call them in fact i don 't even know how you do all that stuff that's an email, um, whatever you can do, well, you just tell them to appreciate the fact that they' they're doing that they didn't have to do that, and again that's just uh, huge for me to know that uh, our team has been able to have uh, a blessing, to, to share that blessing with somebody else. And so I just think that's huge. And so if you'll just kind of let them know that you appreciate them taking their time to do that, that would be, uh, that'd be awesome. So uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, we're in a series called David, and we're looking at the life of this little shepherd boy, right? Everybody knows David. Uh, Even if you're church, unchurched, doesn't really matter. Everybody pretty much has heard about the little shepherd boy David. And we know that he fought Goliath. And so he went from being a zero to a hero. If you're here last week, he went from being a zero to a hero. Then he went back to being a zero. So uh, what happened there? He made a terrible mistake. And all because of fear, he forgot about taking down the big bad Philistine giant. And he ran from his father in law, King Saul. And the problem. That we learned last week. The problem with making bad decisions is bad enough that the decisions that we make affect us. That's bad enough, right? That we mourn, that we grieve, that we hurt over how it affects our lives. But but we seldom, if ever, make decisions, bad decisions that just affect us. They also affect the people that we love the most, it seems. And if you were here last week, we looked at the story. Eighty-five people died because he made a bad decision based on fear. And so today we find David right on the heels of that bad decision that left him in a terrible place. And so the story takes place, so I read, about a 1,000 years B.C., about 3,000 years ago from uh, from our date. And there is uh, so much detail that I'm going to skim through a lot of the story. So I would encourage you to go back to 1 Samuel, maybe start with chapter 17, and just kind of, again, just, it, and it will bless you so much. I love the story of David because the story of David... It's not just that he went from a little shepherd boy to being a hero, but that he went back to zero, then back to a hero, and then back to zero. Are you with me? And that's real life, isn't it? That's where most of us live, that, that uh, you know, suddenly we, we, we find the blessings of God and we're living for Jesus and things are going well, and then somehow we just lose it. We don't even know how. We don't know how we get from here to here, but somehow we do, right? Bad decisions, stupidity, fear. And fear that we found last week, fear leads to stupidity, and that's real life. So David, when David steps onto the scene, he steps onto the scene as this little shepherd boy that ends up as a warrior who killed the giant, and he was about 15 years old when he killed Goliath, and he immediately becomes the most popular person in the nation of Israel. And then something terrible happens. Something terrible happens because he becomes a fugitive because his his daddy-in-law he married into the family, he married the king. Saw the influence and the power that this little fella had, and he said, you know what? I, he was very insecure, and so he said, you know what? I, I need him in my family because he has influence and influences power, so I wanted him to be a, to be a part of the family. Well, he did, and so David married one of the king's daughters. And then as he got into the family, he became best friends with the king's son. But King Saul was incredibly insecure and terribly jealous. He became terribly jealous of David. He was a threat. So long story short, David becomes a fugitive and he runs for his life because he's afraid that the king's going to do everything he can and he would to kill him. So today we're going to pick up with David in his fugitive years uh, surrounded by his, uh, by his merry men, kind of living off the land, trying to stay away from the Philistines. But at the very same time, he can't go home because he's not safe in his own country. Although there was a period of time when he was a hero, he was a national hero, and everybody loved David. And now nobody's really sure how to feel about David. And so he ran. So he's not feeling welcome in his own country. So the story begins in 1 Samuel 25. Now Samuel died. And all Israel assembled and mourned with him. They buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. That's a key to this story. He was very wealthy. He had a 1,000 goats. He had 3,000 sheep, which he was sharing in Carmel. His name was Nabal. And his wife's name was Abigail. And she was intelligent and she was beautiful. Y'all don't even know how to respond to that. It's got to be. It was a good thing for her when you think that she was intelligent and that she was beautiful. But her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. And he was a Calebite. And you'll find later in this story that his name actually means fool. And as it turns out in this story, his name fits him to a T. And the story continues. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. And so he sent ten men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Let me stop here and say a little bit of something about the whole sheep shearing thing. This is a season where... The person who, um, with the sheep, really was going to find out how wealthy he was. And this, generally speaking, is a very festive time where the owner would maybe he had kind of wasn't sure about where he stood financially. And so now he would see that he's actually doing really, really well. So he's feeling very wealthy and he's feeling very generous. And so David tells his boys, he said, say to him, I love this little part of the story. Long life to you. Long life to you, good health to you and to your household, and good health to all of that is yours. And so other words, it's like David says, okay, so here's the thing. I want you to do a little bit of brown nosing before you do the big ask. And if you want to know what brown nosing means, just Google it. Then David says, he says, now I hear that it's sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we didn't mistreat them. In fact, the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants. If you don't believe me, then ask your own servants. They're going to tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men since we've come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. So essentially, David was saying, if you have a prophet, and you're going to have a prophet, but the reason that you have a prophet really largely is due to my men and myself that we were there not just that we didn't take anything from you but because of who I am and the reputation that I have and the men, these professional soldiers that were with me the reason that you have a prophet and have what you have is because really we were like a wall of protection around you and we kept you safe we didn't steal anything from you and if you don't believe me, just ask your own men they'll tell you that's the truth so it sounds like David is a warrior, a little bit of a politician, and certainly he's a businessman, right? It goes on to say, when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? Who is this David, this son of Jesse? Jesse. Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread? Why should I take my bread and my water and the meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men that are coming from who knows where? In other words, I know exactly who you're talking about. Oh, I know who you're talking about. I know who David is. I know David's men. I know David's reputation. I know him, and I know him well. But I also know that he's a fugitive. I'm not sure of the inner dealings that, that happen within the family, but I know that the king is so angry that literally he wants to kill his son-in-law. I know that much. And besides that, I didn't ask for his help. I didn't ask for any of his help. I didn't ask for his protection. I never went to David and said, Look, you, you, can, you can help me out by surrounding my men. People know who you are. You carry a reputation with you. I never said a word to him, so I don't owe him squat. David's men turned around, and they went back, and when they arrived, they reported every word, and David said to his men, I love this part too, strap on your your sword, fellas, I'm going to strap on mine, and we're going to go take names and kick rear end, and I don't know about you, but when I first read this part of the story, I'm feeling kind of good about David, anybody else? I mean, because if you've been with the story of David, you know that David at one point, that David was a little bitty shepherd boy, maybe 15 years old, and he faces Goliath. And he faced Goliath because God had set him up prior to that by facing the lion, right, and the bear. And so he's built some confidence. And so as he stands before Goliath, this little guy, this little teenage boy, this little guy who's probably uh, less than five feet tall stands up to a giant, and he defeated the giant. But then he, because of fear, because he was afraid of his his own father-in-law, he ran for his life. And so he's made some terrible mistakes all because of fear. So with this part in the story, when I kind of read this, I go, yes, it's about time. It sounds like I might be the only one, but that's kind of what I thought. And the story continues. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he heard insults at him. And these men, honestly, Abigail, they really were. They were very good to us. They didn't mistreat us. And the whole time that we were out in the fields near them, nothing, nothing was missing. And then he said, day, night and day, they were, they were a wall around us the whole time as we were shepherding or herding our sheep near them. Do you get that picture? So this is the man to say, listen, man, this is legit. They're talking to his wife, Abigail, and they say, listen, man, this story, it's legit. I want you to think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master. Let's be honest. They're thinking it's not just hanging over, over our master. It's hanging over us. It's hanging over his household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. In other words, your husband is an idiot. I mean, he is completely and utterly stupid. Does he not have any idea of who he's dealing with? This is David the great warrior. I know he's a fugitive. I know he's on the run. I know that things didn't look good for a period of time. But we believe that he's still the man that he was. And your husband's an idiot. Then the text says that Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, of course, that was grape juice for all the Baptists. <laughs> That's not even in my notes. I just thought I would throw that in for fun. Two skins of wine, five dress sheep, five measures of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins. Every time I see that, I see little Debbie cakes. I don't know why. So this afternoon, I'm going, I'm going somewhere and getting me a little Debbie raisin cake anyway. And 200 kegs of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys with servants. And then she told her servants, Go ahead and I'll follow. But she didn't tell her husband, Nabal, smart woman. We've already seen that she was intelligent, right? And she was beautiful. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met him. David had had just said, It's been useless. It's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. It was was no good at all. It's like we wasted all of our time and all of our energy. He has paid me back. Notice notice those words. He has paid me back evil for good. I did him good. I watched over him. He didn't ask. I just did it out of the goodness of my heart. I watched over his men. And so he's going to repay me evil for the good that I've done. May God deal with him. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male, oh, no. If I leave alive one male of all who belong to him, wow. So I was feeling really good a few minutes ago. You know, when we first entered into the story, I thought, okay, David David looked a little bit wimpy at times. You know, I mean, he was big king. He, he was... He was a young shepherd boy who, who faced the giant, and he was a hero. But then out of fear, he got in trouble. And then now we look at him, and here again, so it looks like he's, he's going to be restored back to the warrior that we thought that he was, the, the warrior that we knew that he was. But then we didn't think, wait a minute. He's out for revenge. And he's just not going after Nabal. He's, he's going after all of his family. And all of his men that he once protected, now he's going to slaughter. This is just going to be ugly. You just get this feeling. So when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and she bowed down before David with her face to the ground. And this is, this is just weird. It's weird because she is the wife of a wealthy businessman. And David, this is not King David. This is David the fugitive. And so it's just weird. If if you had been in this culture, you would have, as soon as she had, as soon as she bowed her face to the ground before him, you would have thought, whoa, now wait a minute. Does she not know? Does she not understand? You would have thought, you would have started to wonder, what's going on here? Something, obviously, that I don't see. And it's amazing to me because she catches David completely off guard. He wasn't expecting it. So she begins to treat David, wow, this is so powerful. She begins to treat David as if he is already the man that she hopes that one day he'll be. And I'm telling you, I I know manipulation. I I understand manipulation at at the deepest level. And I have to be honest, when I first read this, I thought, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is this, is this one of those manipulation things? It's not. Is this flattery? Is she, is she just afraid for her own life? Is she afraid for the life of her and her family and her servants? And so is she using flattery somehow? Is she thinking that she's kind of going to butter him up a little bit? No. Flattery is flattery if you're making stuff up. But when you're speaking the truth, then it's the truth. She she speaks to David's potential. Somehow, she, she's a very intelligent woman. Somehow, she's able to look past what he's about to do and speaks to his future. And I think this is so awesome. I think it's awesome because that's what we really try hard to do as a church. We reach. It's no secret. We reach a lot of broken people, people that are broken, people that are beat down, people that walk through the doors of our church every single week that are just sure that nobody nobody believes in them. And maybe the truth of it is, is that as they look around at family and friends, they don't see a lot of people that do. And we've always believed that part of the call of this church is to be able to look into to the lives of people and not just use flattery, not just pat them on the back and tell them that they're great, but that... We can walk along beside them and get to know them. And then we can see those things, those maybe those spiritual gifts that God has given them. We can see the talents that God has given them. And we can speak into their lives. And it's so amazing to me of how we've seen lives change. Literally just because we're able to not speak of where they are but where they can be. It's, it's amazing how God does that. So she fell at his feet and she said, pardon me. Your servant, my Lord. And it's amazing how many times she uses that word, those two words, my Lord, my master. And let me speak to you. Hear what your servant, she's not his servant, but she's being subservient. And I'll just be honest with you. We don't live in a culture where that's popular, do we? Everybody has their rights. Everybody demands that their rights be met. Everybody has a right, right? And so we demand to be served, Rather than serve. Then she says, Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name, which means fool. And folly goes with him. As for me, your servant, again, as for me, your servant, I didn't see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as. The Lord your God lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from the bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, are you listening to her? May your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. And so she's giving him credit for being a better man than he actually is. He's angry. He's angry. He's angry, and I probably understand why he's angry. He's been on the run for for a long time. An innocent man that's been on the run just because of another man's jealousy. And so he's thinking to himself, you know what? I'm tired. I am sick and tired of people treating me this way. It's understandable. But she looks past that. Then she says, please forgive your servant's presumption.'" The Lord, your God, will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. Have mercy. Now, you know what? Again, you might look at this. You might begin to think, okay, she's she's a smart woman. She's intelligent. And so what she's doing, she's trying to save her own hide. So she'll say anything in order to do that. But everything that she says literally will come true, right? Because you fight the Lord's battles. And no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a slain. How could she know what language to use? Remember last week? Remember last week when David... When David ran from his father-in-law, he ran to the priest, remember? And remember, he was all alone, and he lies, he just one lie right after the other, and he tells him, I'm on a secret mission. Remember that? And then remember last week, he said, you know, not only am I on a secret mission, my men are out hiding in the bushes, and, and bottom line is, I'm hungry. Can you give me a little something to eat? And, and so then he, he took this consecrated bread, right? Then, then you remember the next thing? He says, oh, yeah, by the way, I, I'm on a secret mission. I, I left in a really big hurry. Like, I'm starving to death, and... I don't have a weapon. There's King. There's David running from the king. He's the king's son-in-law, mighty warrior David, and he doesn't have a weapon. Remember? And he says, well, we do have that one weapon. Remember the weapon that you gave me? Remember the weapon that you gave me the day it was, it was Goliath's sword, and we, you, you used it to cut off his head? I have that weapon. And you would have thought last week, right, this is where the story would have changed, the music would have changed, there would have been a close-up of David. I can't do that face again. And and you, you would have seen the shock and the surprise. Oh, it, 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 he's taken back, he remembers, but he didn't. But this time, this time it's different. She takes David back to the sling and the slingshot. Sometimes it's a sweet thing to go back to the moment. When we were completely dependent on God. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing He promised concerning Him and has appointed Him ruler over Israel. My Lord will not have on His conscience. Man, she's speaking to His heart. She she she's speaking into His heart. You see what she's doing? The staggering burden of needless bloodshed of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. And in my notes, I wrote, dang, she's good. It's amazing. The power of the power of believing in someone else, the power, the ability. This had to be one of those Holy Spirit moments where God began to speak to her. And she began to see in David, not, not that she looked at David the warrior. She was able to look at David, David's heart. There had to be something. There had to be a story that was told. There was more that was said about David than, than he was just a mighty warrior. She had to hear those stories of a man that was full of compassion, a man that had heart. Not just a warrior. Not just a man who was after bloodshed. She spoke to his heart. It's amazing. And then suddenly David comes to his senses. His emotional temperature starts to drop and he he sees things in a brand new way. David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel who who has sent you today to meet me. Wow. Boy, he's missed it. He missed it when he was talking to the priest. He had every opportunity to see it then. But somehow, time and, and hurt and time and pain has allowed him to see things that he could never see before. May you be blessed for your good judgment. And for keeping me from bloodshed this day. Thank you that you've spoken truth into my life, and you've kept me from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. So let me try to tell you what happened next and kind of wrap the story up. Long story short, uh, Abigail goes home and she tells her husband what happened. And according to verse 37, his heart failed him and he became like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. So the Lord, So David heard about what happened and he sent for Abigail and he asked her, if she would marry him, and they lived happily ever after. I have no idea if they lived happily ever after. Uh, But it just sounds like that would be the great end of a perfect story, right? I don't know exactly what happened, but here's what I do know. If you look at the story, then we have three characters. First there is Nabal, and he returns evil for good, right? David took care of him, took care of his stuff, took care of his men, took care of his sheep, took care of his goats. It was because of David's protection that he was prosperous. And instead of returning good for good, he just returned evil for good. second character in the story is David. He was about to return evil for evil, which makes sense. It just does. It makes sense if you've read the Old Testament at all. It just makes perfect sense. I mean, in the Old Testament, it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's just the world that they lived in. And so honestly, if you look at that, there's not many of us that will hardly blame David. It's just the innocent lives that would have been lost. That would have been the thing that would have been hard for us to understand. But again, if you look at the Old Testament, people died all the time in the Old Testament. Life was cheap in the Old Testament. And then the third character. The third character in the story is Abigail. And she's amazing, isn't she? Her response is is amazing her judgment is amazing her approach is amazing and there's just this sense in which she is like way 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 ahead of her time she's she's the wife of a wealthy businessman and yet she becomes subservient to a fugitive none of that really makes sense it just doesn't. It doesn't make sense at all. You would think it was, she's just intelligent, but it goes beyond just some kind of intelligence. It goes beyond preservation. It goes beyond that because what we see in her, in her words are truth. She speaks truth into the life of David. It says, I know how you feel, but this is not who you are. I know your heart. She's way ahead of her time. And She's a reflection of the New Testament. Because when Jesus showed up, he returned good for evil. So in in closing, let me ask you a question. What story do you want to tell? David sitting on a mule and Perhaps he can see the smoke from the campfires where these men that he had protected were shearing sheep. He's maybe just a few hundred yards away from a very different kind of story. And Abigail stops and she speaks to his future. And she says, I love this, she says, is this really the story that you want to tell? So what would it look like for you to return good for evil? What would it look like for you to be a blessing to someone who maybe has hurt you? What would it be like for us as a church to just love people? To just faithfully love people? To love people who've maybe hurt us people that would love to destroy us there's so many stories I've never really told you because we've had those people I wish I could tell you that most of the stories I have are of the wicked sinful world I don't have one of those every story that I would tell you is how the church down the street or the church across town have literally come after us that's the truth I've never told you those stories because that would just be returning evil for evil what if we just loved what if we just embraced what if you just love? What if you just embraced? And I know that for some of you, you have a story to tell, a story of abuse, a story of hurt, a story of pain. I know. And I know that for you, if you told us your story, we would go, hey, we'll help you. I mean, I got some guys at church, I'm telling you. I could take them to the side and say, look, I need you to take somebody out this afternoon. I'm pretty sure. I got some guys that do it. They'd ask Jesus to forgive them tomorrow, but they would enjoy taking them out today. But you don't want to look back on that mistake. So, what would it look like for you to return good for evil? If you're not a follower of Jesus, here's what I want you to know. My guess is you already know that you're a sinner. I don't have to beat you over the head with the Bible. You walked in here already knowing that. Fully aware of all your mistakes. The cost of all your sin. You walked through the doors. Understanding that uh, the decisions that you've made have hurt other people that you love. You probably already know that you don't deserve anything good from God the thing of it is, is that God returned good for all your evil. That's the beauty of the cross. He sent his son to the earth to live a sinless life just so he could go to the cross and die to pay the penalty for your sin. Wow, it's amazing. Why would he do such a thing? As hard as it is to imagine that God, the creator of this universe, who literally spoke everything that is into existence, his greatest pleasure having a relationship with people broken people like you and me but the brokenness the sin separated us from him and so he said I have to fix it you can't you can't be good enough you're never going to be good enough you're going to continue to to mess up and so because of that I'll fix the problem and that's what he did he returned good for our evil so he went to the cross and on the cross he shed his blood to pay the penalty for our sin and he said I about you. What I want, I don't need anything from you. What are you going to do for me that I can't do for myself? What I want is a relationship. I want you to let me love you. And I want to be loved by you. So he died on the cross and he paid the penalty for our sin to make that relationship possible. If you're here this morning you're not a follower of Jesus, Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. No one's looking around. Maybe you'd pray a prayer or something like this. You'd say, Heavenly Father, I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I understand that I can't do any better I can't be better. I've tried. So this morning, I accept what you did for me. I accept Jesus, the penalty that he paid for me. I accept that. It's hard for me to wrap my brain around, but I just thank you for it. And I know you're alive, and I can feel your presence with me right now. And I just simply want to ask that you forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you the rest of my life. I want to understand more about your love, the depth of your love for me. And I just want to walk with you. Sweet Lord Jesus, thank you so much for, uh, thank you for the power of your word, Lord. Thank you for the, the story of somebody like David. You know, God, the church, we've, the church I grew up in, and what I remember, David is a man after God's own heart, and it was—he was a great warrior. He fe- defeated Goliath. There's all these other things, Lord, that I failed to see that he was—that he was human, and that he failed you. And God, that you put incredible people in his life to be able to speak truth into his life. And God, that truth changed him. He was sensitive to that truth. Lord, if there's hope for somebody like David, there's hope for somebody like me. So Lord, we tell you that we love you. Thank you for loving us. Still a love that we cannot comprehend.